Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. This week on the podcast, I recorded a discussion with Eddie, one of the deacons at my church. He was asking questions about politics and Christians in politics, and that got us into Romans 13 and some discussions about that. So this might not be the last time there's a conversation Eddie and I have that we record and I drop as an episode of the podcast. I don't know. We'll see what the future holds. Maybe uh, sometime in the future, he'll ask me some questions that are either also theonomy related or more economics related. And of course, economics related is always in some way theonomy related because I'm a Christian when I do economics. So anytime you see the convos with Eddie and then a colon. That'll be a conversation with Eddie. I'm using convos instead of conversations for short. That way, hopefully, when you look at the episode title, you can see like what we're actually talking about in that episode and not just um, not just like, oh, it's another conversations with Eddie episode, but there's a dot, dot, dot at the end. So I can't even tell what they're listening to unless I click for more information. So I want you to actually be able to see what we're talking about in this one. And yeah, this one's going to be talking about Christians and politics. I also have an announcement that I want to make before before the next episode drops because the next episode is going to drop two weeks from when this one does, not one week. Uh, as many of the listeners know, my wife is due with our first baby in a bit over a month from when this episode drops. So um, to spend more time with my wife, to spend more time with our baby once she's born, I mean... You know, I can spend time with my baby now whenever I spend time with my wife, but it'll be more important to spend time with my baby once she's been born and then to spend time with any kids we have going into the future. I want to try to do make Theana Money be a bi-weekly podcast every other week, not twice a week. And I hope that isn't too unfortunate for many of you. It just takes too much time to try to make an episode every week. I know you think, oh, the episodes are like 30 minutes long. That doesn't take that long. But between doing research, thinking about what I want to say, then writing, you know, writing down like what I want to say, recording it, going through and editing it and stuff like that, it takes several hours each week. And that's just a lot of time to take away from my family each week. So for the time being, Theana Money is going to drop to uh, every other week, maybe at some point in the future, it will drop and it'll come back to every week. I don't know, but for the time being, it's going to be every other week. And even if that hurts listenership a little bit, I'd rather hurt listenership of my podcast for the sake of having a healthier marriage and being a better father. So with that, I hope you enjoy what Eddie and I had to say. And if this got you a a little bit interested more in Romans 13, if it got your appetite excited, for Romans 13 when uh, 
my daughter is born here in, like I said, a bit over a month, I'm going to take a week or two off of the podcast, which by being every other week is two or four weeks off. By dropping some sermons, I'm going to be in the next few weeks preaching on Romans 13. Uh, should be one on the first four verses and then another on verses five through seven. I believe that's how I'm going to split it up. And so I'm going to drop those for a week or two when uh, my daughter's born to help me not need to spend so much time in the podcast those weeks. And also because that will be more theonomy related than economics related and a lot of other podcasts have recently. I want to, at least for the next couple months, try to focus more on economics than on theonomy because theonomy tries to do both. And I just think recently I've been doing a lot more focusing on theonomy than economics. So the next episode will probably actually be responding to something someone said trying to critique theonomy. That was a bad critique. I'm doing that for the next episode because it was a listener requested one. And so whenever someone requests me to do something like that, I want to try to do it as soon as possible. But after that, other than the Romans 13 episodes in November, I want to try to do a lot of episodes focusing more on economics than on theonomy to try to have a balance between the two but also try to do episodes that are focusing on both at the same time as much as possible. So that's just a bit of an update about the podcast, and let's get into that interview with Eddie. With some friends Saturday, and the wives were there with us, and, and we, the guys I was with, generally have the same, pretty much the same political viewpoint. And so we were talking about the problem with this college loan bailout and other things that this administration is doing. Well, it was mentioned to me a couple of days later that as a Christian, we're not supposed to get into or talk about politics. And my first thought was, which, and it was said something about if I went to some seminar or whatever, I'd learn that. My first thought was, well, who's ever teaching you that is wrong? But I wanted some scripture back, back up. And I know from a little bit that I was just reading that I just saw it, I think it was what Paul said in Romans that uh, we'll succumb to the government or we're supposed to be under the authority of the government. But does that include when the government is, you know, downright putting sinful policies in place? Yeah, so uh, what you're getting at there is Romans 13, which we're actually going to be at pretty soon, going mm-hmm. through Romans on Sunday morning. So Romans 13, I'll read, I don't know, five or six or something like that, verses of it at the beginning. Every person is to be subject, be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist have been appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of that authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of that wrath, but also because of conscience. And so there, and Paul continues on talking about some other stuff too. But at the beginning, yeah, Paul does say every person is to be in submission to or to be subject to 
governing authorities. And he also says, well, one, we could just stop there and just talk about that. That doesn't mean that like, that doesn't mean the government is God. Some people read like the first part of the first verse and just ignore the rest of Paul, what Paul has to say there. And basically they just mean that means whatever government has to say, you have to do it unless the government tells you not to evangelize. Because in the book of Acts, Peter evangelized after the government told him not to. But unless the government's telling you not to evangelize or something similar to that, you have to do whatever the government says. But they're not continuing on. First, we continue on in the rest of verse 1. There's no authority except from God. And those which exist have been appointed by God. And so there's no government, whether right now in the world, at some point in the past, or at some point in the future, there's no government, there's no politician that is not in some sense appointed by God. Now, that doesn't mean like every single president and prime minister and whatever other terms people refer to for the leader of their country is like basically a priest for him in the nation. It doesn't mean that they're like a, these special people with some like super, I don't know. It doesn't mean like they're God's vicar on earth. It doesn't mean like they're basically representing Jesus on earth in the way that Catholics believe the Pope does. But they're all appointed by God in the sense of like God is sovereign. And so if God is sovereign, then you can't have someone get in any position, whether political or business or even the, I don't know, the treasurer of your freshman in high school class like even something really small like that it's all established by God because God's sovereign over everything and so people are appointed by God and that God has that person in that political position for a reason sometimes it is to judge a wicked nation I remember back when uh, the 2016 election was coming up Hillary and Donald Trump I saw going around a lot this quote from John Calvin and it said uh when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. And it was a picture of Hillary and a picture of Donald Trump. I think that kind of explains where we're at right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we thought Hillary would have been bad if she won. She probably would have been better than Biden is right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, rulers are appointed by God, whether good rulers by God to bless a nation or bad rulers by God to judge a nation I'm, or Pharaoh. God specifically says, like in Romans 9, earlier in the same book here, quoting from the Old Testament in a lot of it, that God appointed Pharaoh in the days of Moses in order to show his glory to the world through judging Pharaoh as an evil ruler. And so rulers are all appointed by God, whether, like I said, whether a good ruler to bless the nation or a bad ruler to uh, do evil in the nation. And a lot of times a little bit of a mixture of both. I would say Trump was kind of that way. Trump, you know, he wasn't this moral man like Ivana, I think was like his fifth wife or something like that. He claimed to be a Christian, though I saw little to no evidence that there was a genuine faith there. Um, I think the denomination he was a part of for the first half of his presidency was the PCUSA, which is like, was beyond liberal decades ago. So, um, yeah. That, uh, but with him, there were still good things that he did. I honestly never thought Kavanaugh or uh, Amy Coney Barrett were ever going to do anything about abortion. And look where we are now, a couple months after Roe was overturned. So, like, Trump did was not an ideal president by any stretch of the imagination, but he also 
if nothing else, was a little bit of a pause on the uh, growing totalitarianism in the U.S., if nothing more than that. But also, I think we can argue a little bit more than that, that he elected SCOTUS justices that I expected to not do anything and actually ended up did doing stuff like helping overturn Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, basically all that to say, all rulers are appointed by God, whether they're good or whether they're bad. And also, talking about whether they're good or whether they're bad, uh, it says in verse 3 that uh, rulers are not, or maybe we should say should not, be a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil. So, you know, civil magistrates, politicians, police officers, they should cause, be a source of fear for you to do good behavior. You know, when you're doing five over the speed limit and you see a police car behind you and you real quickly slow back down to right on the speed limit, maybe a couple miles below the speed limit just to be safe. Mm -hmm. Actually, a funny story with that. My dad told me with his dad, my grandpa, he asked his dad one time, Dad, when you're doing the speed limit and when you see a police officer, why do you still slow down when you were doing the speed limit? And my grandpa's explanation to my dad was, what are you, stupid? And never actually explained why he slows down even though he was doing the speed limit other than just being cautious, I guess. Um, natural reaction. <laughs> yeah. Um, so rulers should be a cause for fear for bad behavior. When rulers become a cause for fear for good behavior, when um, you're just doing stuff like trying to honor God with your lives and the civil magistrates, the politicians, the police are now trying to punish you for trying to honor God rather than punish you for doing what is dishonoring to God is when they flip Romans 13.3 on its head and they end up making it say the opposite. And um, in that case, they are not doing the first part of verse 4. Verse 4 says that the civil magistrate, that the government, is a uh, minister of God to you for good. The governing authorities are ministers of God to us for good. And that right. word, what? Yeah, let's hold on there for a second. Yeah. Uh, go back into go back into verse 3. Okay. Um, so I totally get that, you know, we have, just like the kings of the Old Testament, we have rulers put in place, rulers, uh, authority put in place to govern, make laws for supposedly for our better good. However, when you go, you say that um, uh, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. And, and uh, do you want to have fear of that authority? Do what is good. You will have praise from the same. You said something about uh, when the authority turns around and causes you to... I, the example that came into mind was, and it's happening today, it's not something that's going to be in the future. It's that it's already been done. It's like when they were, you know, pastors are supposed to preach Bible. And when a, when a government body comes in and says, you can't talk about or teach preach this because it's hate speech. Mm, which China is by and large doing to Chinese pastors and with what C4... But by C4, Canada is now starting to do in North America. It has happened in the United States as well. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's still, 
Just because we're supposed to succumb to the authority of our governing body who creates rules doesn't mean that we are just supposed to be wishy-washy and lay there and, and bite our tails and say, oh, thank you, can I have another? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's a good boy. No, I think even as Christians, when the government is making blatant um, laws or actions that are evil, that go against what God teaches, we, I think we're under obligation to stand up and say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cause, so I'm going to jump into verse 4 a little bit, and then I'm going to come back to that. So in verse right. 4, when it says, The governing authorities are ministers of God to us for good, the Greek word there, minister, is the Greek word deaconos, from which we get our English word deacon. And so it's the word deacon, or the word in Greek that we transliterate into deacon in English, just means like minister or servant. And so the now this isn't saying that the civil government is a deacon in the same sense that you're a deacon at our church. It's... You know, just like in English, we have words with multiple meanings, so Mm -hmm. does Greek. Um, So it's basically saying there, though, picking up on the same idea of servant, the word deacon basically means the servant of the church. That's where when you look at Acts, it says like the pastors in the church should serve the spiritual needs of the church. Um, Particularly referenced there are the word, the sacraments, and prayer. And then the deacons are the ones handling the physical needs of the church, is what we get in the early chapters of Acts. So they're like the servants of the church, not that they're the only ones serving the church. Everyone, pastors, deacons, and lay people should be serving the church. But like their title literally comes from the Greek word meaning servant or minister. And it's that same Greek word here. So the uh, government should be the servant of God to us for good. About Almost a year ago now, I preached that sermon talking about the different types of government, the family as one type of government, the church as another, and then the government, like what we think of as government, the civil magistrate, Mm -hmm. the governing authorities, to use Paul's word here, as the other type of government. And so they should be ministers of God, servants of God to honor God and the specific roles he has given their form of government. And so when we have people reversing verse 3, we have uh, these governing authorities no longer being servants of God to its citizens for good, but you know, to change up the wording a bit, they're being servants of Satan to its people for evil. And so now that is where you get into discussions of Christian resistance to uh, sinful governments and what that looks like. Also, this entire thing we're talking about here with government being obedient to God and what it looks like, what the citizen should do when the government is no longer, all of this actually presupposes that there is a Christian form of politics. To get back to your original discussion with getting lunch with some of the other guys, that um, if there is no such thing as Christian politics, then how can the government do something that is wrong before God? The entire premise of saying it is morally wrong for the government to do this or morally right for the government to do this other thing presupposes the idea that there are morals for the government to follow, which means there are rules for the government to follow. And if we don't root the rules for the government to follow in God and his word, then where do we root them in? If we say the government shouldn't be religious, but it still has morality it should follow, then where does that morality come from? 
whatever the people in the nation decide is morality, then that's just moral anarchy. And all you have to do is get a majority vote to say XYZ sin is a good thing. And now that sin is legal in that country in God's eyes, if that's the way we're going to argue with it, which is where we have to have an objective authority. The only one we have being scripture. And therefore scripture tells us what is good for a government to do and what isn't. And now, of course, scripture doesn't lay out every single possible law we could ever think of in a modern day government explicitly, but it does give us some things and then it gives us guidelines to follow as we fill in the things that it doesn't explicitly talk about. And so in that sense, Christians should be involved in politics because if, uh, if the government is to obey God and follow scripture, and its laws, which by the way, at the founding of America was by and large the case, not perfectly, but I mean, the original Supreme Court justices citing scripture in their decisions and things like that, um, then, then with all of that, um, Christians should be involved in politics to teach the government from the word of God here is where you are going astray from the word of God and you are sinning in your politics and here's how to course correct. Or you have these two options before you. This one is honoring to God and this one is not. And here's from God's word why you should uh, be more involved in this. And also pastors especially should be doing stuff like that so they can you know, sign up for their three minutes to talk to the senators or the House of Representatives before a major decision during the... Uh, legislative session and say, I'm standing here as a minister of God, and thus saith the Lord, this is what God's word tells you to do in this or that piece of legislation that you are discussing right now. And so Christians should be involved in politics. When Christians stop getting involved in politics is how we end up with uh, all the transgenderism and other stuff we have going on right now. And so I guess that kind of brings us to you're talking about then like what do we do when the government is reversing that verse three, when the government is being a cause of fear to good behavior rather than a cause of fear to bad behavior like Paul talks about in verse three. And so that's where you get into the different ideas of Christian resistance to tyrannical government. Um, and this doesn't, you know, people have different ideas on this, but generally the consensus among most people that are like well studied and have good arguments in this area is that Christian, you know, you, you don't just turn into some sort of moral anarchy where you start a revolution because your government did something you don't like. At first and foremost, I would say start small. Do that, you know, emailing, calling uh, your local representative and a senator or showing up to the uh, Senate building or the House of Representative building and uh, signing up for your like three minutes to talk to them more than three minutes if they decide to ask you questions back and things like that and just try to see like what influence you can have on this for good and basically try to exhaust every peaceful avenue at your disposal to try to course correct your government when they are doing what is evil and only if all other avenues have been exhausted is when we could talk about something like the American War for Independence. And by the way, we'll never talk about something like the French Revolution. I would just say the French Revolution was sinful, period. When 
God, I think the guidelines God gives us in scripture when it comes to tyrannical governments, we never talk about revolution. We try to talk about reformation, which is why I don't like calling the, the what's called the Revolutionary War. I like saying the War for Independence because it wasn't a revolution. The French Revolution was a revolution. The War for Independence was something else. It was, I think the way the War for Independence was handled was much more honoring to God than the way the French Revolution was handled. And that's like the last measure after all other avenues of trying to work with the government have been exhausted and there has been no resolution to any of them. And even when something like that happens, it should generally as often as possible be led under something um, that's called the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. A pastor, I think in Wisconsin, named Matthew Truella was the one that talked about it. I don't know if you've ever heard of Matthew Truella. But basically the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate says when a higher magistrate, by that I mean like one with more authority. So things like the higher magistrate in D.C. versus the lower magistrate in your state capital. If the higher magistrate makes some kind of law or decree that is evil and sinful in God's eyes, then the lesser magistrate has the duty to say to more or less his boss, no, we aren't going to do that. And, uh, Basically, we're just not going to do that under my jurisdiction. You can try to force all the other jurisdictions to do it, but we're not going to do that under mine because that's a sin before God to do this. And the lesser magistrate there basically taking the risk. He is, as the servant of God, governing authority, is trying to put all of the risk of disobeying the higher authority on himself rather than on the citizens he represents. And that is what is honoring to God for a lower politician to do when a politician above him decrees what is evil. So I guess an example for that would be if uh, Congress decided to make some kind of law to more or less establish Roe v. Wade into law, because Roe v. Wade was never law. It was a Supreme Court decision. Right. Supreme Court doesn't make laws, the Congress does. But if Congress, in response to Roe's overturn, made a law saying that every state has to allow for abortion, and then you had a state governor or a state congress say, no, that is evil and abortion is a violation in God's eyes and therefore, I don't care what you say government, that's unconstitutional and more importantly, it is a sin before God and we're not going to do abortion in my state no matter what you say. That would be an example of that. And when you have a civil magistrate leading the charge is when discussions of resistance to government become much more easier to make it a more legitimate discussion because then it's your lower magistrate leading the charge representing you and the other people under his district, the other people he's representing, and your resistance to the higher magistrate. That's when it's your governor representing all the people in your state leading the resistance against the federal government when they decree what is evil. I don't know. What are your thoughts on all that? Uh, well, I don't know that. It seems to me in today's age, that what you were just talking about, writing letters and emails and whatnot, just doesn't get anything done. But it's still hard for me to just sit back and watch what mm -hmm. this administration is doing and not be, not discuss it and not be outspoken about it.
Mm-hmm. I'd say the writing letters and phone calls doesn't do much because you almost never see enough people get on board too. Because a lot of times politicians are cowards. Mm-hmm. Whatever they see the will of the people doing, they're gonna sway in that direction because they just yeah. want to try to get reelected next time. So if you could get something like say, um, I don't know, some important election was coming up in your state congress, and you got if you could get every single Christian in that state, or at least every person, say every person that claims to be a Christian. Let's take out the whole genuine believers versus false converts. You just had every person who claims to be a Christian in whatever state it is we're talking about, all just every day before going into work, emails 10 senators and 10 representatives on their state level, not like the federal level down in D.C., but on their state level, just commit to Monday through Friday before they walk into, before they go to work, every person who claims to be a Christian in a state sends 10 emails to, uh, or sends 20 emails, 10 to a, 10 to 10 different representatives, another 10 to 10 different senators, and, you know, mix and match which they are each day. So like everyone's getting an email once or twice, once every week or two. That, if you do a lot of copy and pasting, 15 minutes at the most, possibly as little as five or 10 minutes of work a day, five days a week, if we could just get everyone who claims to be a Christian in a state to do that, we would, in like a couple of years, see that state turn to some very Christian roots as the politicians started seeing, oh, okay, I'm getting like 80% of my emails talking, asking me to do this or that are coming from Christians all with the same message saying this or that legislation is evil before God, don't let it pass, or undo it if it already has passed, or this or that piece of legislation that doesn't look like it will pass would be honoring to God, make sure it passes. Because politicians actually don't get emails and phone calls as much as people think they would. So if we just had a fair number of Christians in each state, we're willing to spend 10 minutes a week sending emails to politicians, then we could see I'd say if half the Christians in a given state spent 10 minutes a week copy and pasting emails to various politicians in their state, we would see the country change more rapidly than we would think possible. Lot to process. Yeah. So I hope you all liked that and the more informal feel of having a conversation rather than just normal monologue from me so hit me up pm me if you know me personally pm me personally if you don't pm me on the on money comment on a post tell me if you like this and if you want to see more stuff like this in the future also i have a request to make please go follow at the money 2 on twitter i am potentially permanently locked out of Theonomy's Twitter account for talking about theonomy on Twitter because that's considered hateful speech now. So the page is still up. You can still go see and like and retweet all the old tweets, but I cannot get into it. According to Twitter, I can still get into it and private message people. I just can't like or retweet or tweet myself, but I actually can't get into it at all. So Twitter isn't even telling the truth about the extent to which I still have access to that old account because it's basically not at all. So maybe if 
when the Elon Musk actually does buy Twitter, I can get access to it back. I don't know. I doubt he's ever actually going to buy Twitter. I think that whole thing was just a ploy to make Twitter reveal just how many Twitter accounts were actually bots. Uh, but yeah, help me. Since now I lost an over 700 follower Twitter page uh, at the time of recording, I think I'm at 14 on the new one. So that's a 730, 740 to 14. That's a pretty big drop in uh, followers on my Twitter. So please go follow at Theon Money too. Uh, the actual name of the page is Zucked or Twittered Theon Money because I thought it was appropriate to make some kind of joke in the name since I lost uh, the old one due to the type of stuff Zuckerberg does on Facebook. I made a joke about that on the name of the new Twitter one. And hey, people make jokes with their Twitter names all the time. Just look at James Lindsay and some of the crazy things he makes his name, like James Lindsay saving the SBC or James Lindsay Bay or stuff like that. James Lindsay has done. Yeah, so anyways, that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me, your law is sweet, oh you say.